Welcome to the first Fireside Stories of 2021. My name is Elliot Randallwood, and I'd like to wish all our listeners a very happy new year. This week's story tells the tale of Little Mary Brown. Please enjoy Little Mary's Dolly, read by Jay Gatling. August 1941. Mary and her younger sister Elizabeth were in the garden playing with the dolls they would received the previous Christmas from their grandparents. They had immediately fallen in love with the dolls and had taken to bringing them everywhere they went since getting them. Wherever the girls went, so their dolls were never far away. On this particular summer afternoon, the sun shone brightly in the clear blue sky. Birdsong filled the air. Bees were busy collecting nectar from the flowers and butterflies darted around without a care in the world. It was perfect. So perfect, you'd have been forgiven for forgetting the war with Nazi Germany had been raging on for nearly two years already and would continue to do so for several more years to come. But this isn't a story about Germany, or soldiers, or war. This story is about the little girl who was playing with her dolly in the garden on an almost perfect afternoon in August. Their mother Dorothy, or Dot as she was known, was sat in a wooden garden chair enjoying the sun on her face and half listening to her daughter's make-believe whilst reading Carlson McCullough's The Heart is a Lonely Hunter that she had borrowed from a friend who was being courted by an American soldier. The girl's aunt, their mother's sister, was in the kitchen preparing lunch. She had moved in at the start of the war when the first wave of young men, including her fiancé and brother-in-law, were shipped off to God knows where. The garden gate suddenly opened with a creak. The girl's mother looked up and she was immediately stricken with grief when she saw who was standing on the path. Nicknamed the Angels of Death, Telegraph boys only visited regular working-class people when they had to deliver bad news. Nine months prior, she had received a telegram telling her her own husband was missing in action and assumed to have been taken prisoner. As she stared across the garden into the boy's eyes, she feared the worst. "'Winifred Anne?' the boy asked as he approached the still-seated woman. She stood up, eyes still locked on his. "'Winifred Anne?' he repeated. Finally, finding her voice, she said, No, no, that's my sister. Hearing the voices in the garden, Winifred, who had forever been known as Annie, came out to see what was going on. The boy, on hearing her come through the door into the garden, turned and repeated his question. Winifred Anne? She looked at the boy, then to her sister, then back at the boy, and nodded. He held out a hand that was clutching the telegram and simply said, I'm sorry. Annie took it from him. As soon as she touched it, it was as if the whole world had stopped spinning. She could no longer hear her nieces playing or the birds singing. The bees and butterflies were stationary and the once warm glow of the sun now felt cold and icy. She opened the telegram and read the news she was dreading. Her handsome fiancé, the man she was going to spend the rest of her life with, start a family with, 
had been killed. And this, for most people, is where the story would end. But for Winifred Anne, Annie, it was only just beginning. Grief affects people in different ways, and for this once happy and confident young woman, it quickly twisted and blackened her soul. Over the coming days and weeks, Annie would sit and watch Mary and Elizabeth playing. She would hear them laughing and giggling in the way that little girls do. Their make-believe world would see them as shopkeepers, nurses and mothers, and their dolls would become their customers, patients and babies. Babies, Annie thought, like the ones she would now no longer have. These were the thoughts that filled her head and poisoned her heart as she sat and watched her nieces play. Grief affects people in different ways. Annie's grief had quickly replaced all feelings of love with feelings of hate. She hated the telegraph boy who delivered the news that shattered her dreams. She hated her brother-in-law for being captured alive. She hated her sister Dot for being a mother, but mostly she hated her nieces, for they were the constant reminder of everything she felt she should have had. Just over a month had passed since that perfect afternoon in August was destroyed by the angel of death and his dark news. It was a Saturday. The girls, Mary and Elizabeth, were playing in their bedroom upstairs. Mary's doll was the prima ballerina in their very own production of Swan Lake. Elizabeth was in charge of the music, which came via a little wooden music box, the type where you have to turn a handle to make the tune play. The audience was made up of an esteemed list of patrons from the toy box, including Mr. Horse, who never missed the performance. There was muffled talking coming from downstairs that lingered in the background of their game. They could hear their aunt's voice becoming far clearer, and it was getting louder. She sounded angry. Since August, it had become normal for the girls to hear their mother and aunt arguing, but this was different. This sounded dangerous. Suddenly, there was a crash, followed by more shouting, then silence. The girls stopped their game and listened. Out of nowhere, their mother let out a blood-curdling scream, and then more silence. Elizabeth, frightened, yelled for her mother as she ran out of the room and down the stairs, leaving Mary alone. Mary heard her aunt's voice. Hello, Lizzie. Followed by a short whimper she knew had come from her sister, a thud. Then more silence. Mary moved to the corner of her bedroom, clutching her doll tightly. She could feel her heart pounding. She listened, but could hear nothing over the sound of her own heart trying to escape through her chest. Then, footsteps on the stairs. They got louder as they came along the landing, and then stopped just short of the doorway. Mummy? Mary whispered. Annie stepped into view. She had evil in her eyes. As Annie calmly walked into the bedroom, she picked up a cushion from a chair and moved towards Mary. Mary tried to scream, but nothing came out. All she could do was push herself further into the corner and hold her doll close. Shh, it's time to sleep, said Annie softly. But I want my... started Mary. Annie interrupted. It's okay. You'll see Mummy soon. 
With the cushion pressed against her face, it didn't take long for Mary's fragile little body to give up. During the investigation, several police officers reported hearing music and the sounds of a little girl playing coming from the evidence storeroom, but when they looked inside, there was never anyone there. However, the doll that was found with one of the victims in the upstairs bedroom had often been moved from its storage box. After the trial, it was ordered that all the evidence be destroyed. However, when it came time to do so, the doll and several other items had gone missing. Over the years, collectors of the macabre have reportedly bought and then quickly resold a small assemblage of items that all relate to multiple homicide from the early 1940s. Within the collection includes a little wooden music box, a straw-filled horse, and a doll that many now refer to as Little Mary's Dolly. Those who have taken possession of these items have all reported unusual and unexplainable phenomena, including hearing the sounds of a little girl playing, disembodied screams, and music. Some believe that at the time of her death, Mary's spirit latched onto the only friendly face in the room with her, her doll. Others say it's the result of an overactive imagination fueled by the telling and retelling of a horrific tale. Sadly, the current whereabouts of these items is unknown. Thank you for listening to Fireside Stories, brought to you by Alexander Maybury's Museum of Strange Things. This week's story was written by Elliot Randall Wood and read by voiceover artist Jay Gatling. If you would like to find out more about Jay's work, please visit facebook.com slash jgatlingvoiceover, spelt J-A-Y-G-A-T-L-I-N-G-V-O-I-C-E-O-V-E-R. That's facebook.com slash jgatlingvoiceover. And if you'd like more from the museum, you can visit us at maybreezemuseum.com for our blog and all our past podcast episodes. Thanks again for listening, and hopefully we'll be catching you again next week at 7am Thursday morning.